Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Ask the Operated podcast, where we talk about sports betting with leaders in the sector. We address different aspects related to sports betting, and today we will focus on the regulation of sports betting. For those who are not familiar with the issue, talking about regulation in betting can be tricky. This is because each country regulates sports betting in their own way, and there are so many factors and details to take into account that we might need a full day if we wanted to address the issue thoroughly. But lucky me, today I'm here with David Foster, Head of Regulatory Affairs at GVC. Hi, David. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, Sylvia. Thanks very much. Very good to be here. And uh, yeah, look forward to trying to condense down to uh, a short amount of time the main parts of sports betting, which might be of, uh, of interest to your listeners. Absolutely. You're an expert on the regulation of betting in various jurisdictions. How long have you been working in this field? Experts are quite a flattering term, but yeah, now I've got a bit of experience in the field. So I've been working in regulation of sports betting for just over six years now. I'm currently head of regulatory affairs at GVC, which is one of the world's largest sports betting and gaming operators. We have sort of 20 well-known brands such as Labrooks, Bwin, Coral, Sporting Bet, Party Poker, Party Casino, and a host of others. And we've got a great sort of global footprint. So across a number of jurisdictions internationally and are kind of exposed to all the differences and nuances between all those different territories. And before that, for four years, I was at Paddy Power Betfair or Flutter, as it's now known. And again, I was working in um, policy regulation there as well, working on some similar markets, but, but some different ones as well. So, yeah, I've got a reasonable um, amount of experience. So hopefully I've got a few useful um, insights, which I might be able to share with you today. You mentioned the global footprint that GVC has. So you are basically dealing with all the main jurisdictions across the globe. So what are the main changes you have seen in the regulation of sports betting from a macro's perspective in the past years? Yeah, I think the most notable thing we've seen over the years is just a general increase in the amount of regulation. This is obviously still a relatively new policy area in, in the kind of grand scheme of things. So Still, you know, if we look back 10 years or so, there was only a, a few markets globally that were kind of uh, regulated to the extent they are now. But if you fast forward 10 years, the vast majority, of, you know, particularly in Europe, the vast majority of markets now have proper sort of regulatory frameworks for gambling, and particularly online gambling and sports betting within that in, in place. I think the second thing I've probably seen is that that regulation has become gradually more strict and more restrictive in its nature. You know, this is a kind of inevitable evolution in any kind of sector, really, that over time regulations tighten up generally. And that's certainly something we've seen in sports betting and continue to see uh, at the moment. And I think you know, as a result of that, that those two things, the increase in regulation and increasing rigor of that regulation, that in turn has led to an increased cost base for operators who now you know pay taxes in a number of jurisdictions where they're licensed and they have various compliance requirements uh, and everything that goes with that and I think that's led to the kind of the third thing which I probably point out which is a considerable amount of, of consolidation and, and, and M&A activity in the sector in the last three four five years which has been driven by that that those increasing demands placed on sports betting operators that you know before there was hundreds if not thousands of 
for sports betting operators all over Europe and other jurisdictions. But over time, the, the pressures and the costs of, of that licensing and regulation has, has, has led to consolidation. If you look at the UK, for example, there's kind of, I think they refer to it as the big four, kind of four big operators, which have swallowed up various other ones over time. And I think that that's something that's also been mirrored in other jurisdictions as well. And and, and that will probably be borne out in, in places like the US, which we which we see at the moment, which are just starting to regulate. I, I suspect we'll see more consolidation in the sector in the years to come when the market matures. Yes. And you actually mentioned a general global trend, which is that jurisdictions are tightening up their regulation of betting. Why is it so? I think it's 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 a natural progression. You know, over time, a, a number of things have changed. If you, if you use maybe the UK as an example, so the, the the original Gambling Act dates back to 2005, which is the, the main overarching framework for, for online gambling and sports betting regulation in the UK. We're currently in discussions now, and the government's announced its intention to, to have a full review of that legislation. And I think that comes around as consumer behaviours change, technologies advance, markets mature. All these kind of things feed into the process. And over time, those regulations become outdated and they need to be addressed again. You know, in 2005, online sports betting was still a relatively small part of, of the grand scheme of things. But, you know, that, that obviously over time, there's been a shift from retail and traditional methods of sports betting towards online and all the product developments and innovation that's gone with that. So I think that's the main reason it will happen. And, you know, we, we see it in other sectors as well. So sports betting is no different, but that's the main driver behind the need for, for updated regulation, I think, from a government or policymaker perspective. Right. So far, based on your experience, what is the best regulation in place from an industry perspective? And why can it be considered the best? Without wanting to, to focus too heavily on on the UK, obviously, you know, I'm based in London and, and I work for a UK company, although we're obviously, you know, very international. I think um, the UK has been has been seen as, as a kind of not, not a gold standard, perhaps, but, uh, you know, something that another other jurisdictions have kind of aimed for in terms of their regulation. I think the reason for that is because it, it's overall a well-balanced regulation. I think from our view, it, it strikes the balance between what is required in terms of protecting consumers and balancing consumer interest against what operators need in terms of being able to operate viable businesses. So the crucial things there are things like tax. What is the tax rate? What is that tax rate based on? Gross gaming revenue is what we in the industry prefer to use, which is simply a measure of the amount of stakes the, the players place with you minus the amount you pay out in winnings. What is left over? That's your tax base rather than we see turnover, which is used in other jurisdictions, and it makes it a lot more complicated because obviously that factors in different margins, and sometimes it can be very volatile, which makes it very difficult for operators to have a kind of consistent way of managing their businesses. But it is to tax; it's other things around, you know, product requirements, technical obligations, things like advertising, how the regulator interacts with the industry. All these things, I think, go into forming a balanced overall regulation. I think if it tips too far in either direction, either, you know, you tax the companies too heavily or you're too restrictive, then the problem you face then is that not a lot of the operators will take a license or will remain within the regulated realm. And then you see an increase in the offshore activity or the black market, which is 
obviously something which governments need to avoid because the number one objective behind regulating a market is to have control of it, to have oversight, to be able to tax it and to be able to protect those consumers. And that relies on those operators adhering, you know, taking out a license, paying tax and adhering to the licensing requirements that are in place. You know, if operators don't do that and they operate in the, the grey or black space, then that's no good to anyone. It's no good to the government. It's no good for consumers. And, you know, even from a sports integrity perspective, it's, it's certainly unhelpful for, for monitoring and detecting incidences of suspicious betting activity and, and potential match fixing in sport. Exactly. And so from your perspective, does the way a market is regulated have an impact on sports betting integrity? Yeah, absolutely. It does. I think a well-regulated market will have a positive impact on sports betting integrity, while the converse is, is true as well. And you know, as I mentioned in my previous answer, that one of the most important things when we talk about what is a well-regulated market or what is a, a measurement of a well-regulated market, one, you know, the, the go-to one generally is the channeling rate. And by, by channeling rate, I mean the percentage of operators that are licensed that are active in that territory. So in the UK, for example, we have around a 95, I think the Gambling Commission, maybe even north of that, 96, 97, 98% channeling rate, which means of, say, you know, 100 bets that are placed, north of 95% of those will be placed with um, operators which are licensed, taxed and regulated in the UK by the UK Gambling Commission. Now, what that, that enables those to do is, as a result of that, is it gives the regulator oversight of all the activity within that market. It allows for exchange of information, exchange allows for cooperation, you know, national integrity platforms as well, whereby regulated operators, we see it in the UK and a number of other jurisdictions in Europe and internationally that, that kind of bring together the sports governing bodies, the policy makers or the regulators and the betting operators as well as law enforcement to kind of come together uh, and we have that in the UK in the form of the uh, Sports Betting Integrity Forum um, which brings together all those all those stakeholders and that uh, is, is a real fundamental basis I think in my view for a viable and successful sports betting integrity policy without that level of you know cooperation and interaction between those 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 stakeholders it makes it very difficult to have uh, a robust kind of sports integrity policy so yeah in answer to your question absolutely a well-regulated market is certainly helpful when it comes to, to sports betting integrity absolutely you mentioned several times the uk as a balanced regulation and also you explain why and the channel rate so far it's one of the uh, highest in europe but we know that the UK is soon going to review its gambling law. Is this balance going to remain? I very much hope so. I think this time round, they're going to be focusing on more key areas which have kind of cropped up in the last few years. So, for example, advertising is certainly a, an issue which um, is high on the political agenda at the moment, quite high up in the public consciousness, and you read about it quite a lot in the media as well. So that's something I would certainly expect to be looked at. Advertising is an interesting one because it does have a role in feeding into to those channeling rates. Just to kind of explain that a little bit, if if you know you're you're a consumer and you fancy placing a sports bet and you don't have an account, you're likely to register with ones that you've heard and ones that you know of particularly ones that will have been able to advertise to you in that market. 
so advertising is a way of showcasing the legitimate and um, responsible operators that act within that market and consumers will be attracted to, to betting with them rather than with unlicensed offshore black, black market operators who aren't allowed to advertise in the market. So that's uh, you know a, a tool that where we have to find the right balance between restricting it, uh, making sure it's sensible and proportionate and there's no harm in other consumers or, or vulnerable groups, but also acknowledging that it is an important part for operators to be able to advertise their services. Elsewhere, I think other areas that will come under demand or, certain, or come under review, or, you know, just generally around responsible gambling and things like affordability. These are certainly key areas that need to be discussed. Uh, I think for, you know, a long time, the industry kind of fell short in some of these areas when it came to having robust, responsible gambling processes and procedures in place. I think we're in a much better place now than we were, you know, five or 10 years ago. And I think a lot of good work has been done. There's certainly more can be done and, and, and operators like GBC, we're striving to, to do the best we possibly can and, and other operators as well are, are doing good work in this area. But that's something that will certainly be examined as well as part of this review and you know, elsewhere, things like VIP schemes as well, which are another kind of a strand which kind of draws criticism from the media and attention from politicians alike. So again, that's a discussion we'll need to have and, and hopefully we can come up with something that balanced and proportionate that, that kind of takes into account those concerns that consumers have, that the governments have, but at the same time acknowledges that, you know, we are legitimate businesses and, and we need to have certain um, conditions in place to be able to operate in a viable manner. So, yeah, that's going to be a long process and, and one which I think the industry is in a better place to do than it has been previously. And we can hopefully have some good and constructive dialogue over the, the next year or two as that review takes place. And, and I'm hopeful that, yeah, a, a balanced regulatory framework will remain in place because it's important for the future viability of the, um, of the industry. Absolutely. And actually, you focused a lot on the UK, but looking at the various geographies in, in Europe where states have been regulating the market during the past, say, 10, 15 years, what are the lessons learned so far? And are there some points which needs to be improved? Yeah, I think it's important as a starting point is that you won't get it right first time, I don't think. You know, something I mentioned at the beginning of the of the podcast is that technology changes, innovation changes, society, uh, societal trends, all of these things kind of evolve. And as a result, regulations need to adapt accordingly. And that's the same in many kind of technology focused sectors. You know, very often the technology shifts and then the regulation catches up and there's this constant battle to try and keep the regulation in sync with the technology involving. But I think what, what we probably learned is that governments need to have a kind of a balanced and almost objective where possible of how to achieve a sustainable environment that works for both the operators and for players as well as you know for the governments from a tax perspective sometimes we've seen where there's kind of incumbent interests of local operators who kind of got the better and had the upper hand when it's come to developing those regulations and that's a result of a long-standing history in that market probably some levels of protectionism and it makes it difficult for international operators to kind of break into those markets because those incumbent operators have been given all those incumbent interests have been given a bit of a head start in the market. 
the, the markets that tend to function the best are the ones where those old monopoly structures have been properly broken down. There is a level playing field in place. So I think a level playing field is something certainly very important for a proper functioning market. But I think as well, over that period of time, it's, it's become clear that to have a sustainable regulatory framework in place, then operators need to take responsibility as well. I think that was something the industry was perhaps a little slow to do back in going back in time. But now I think there's certainly a lot more willingness for operators to kind of take the bull by the horns and, and, and demonstrate their, their levels of commitment to responsible gambling, to, to their wider objectives, to their players and to the societies in which they operate. And that I think bodes well for a more sustainable, equitable um, relationship between all those parties going forward. And that's something I think that it's been clear to see that you can't have a free-for-all where there's no regulation, but equally you can't have anything that's far too restrictive and stifles all kind of inward investment and, and, and international operators from breaking through. So again, it's that point around kind of balance, I suppose, and that balance has to be in place in order for us to be able to continue growing in a kind of sustainable and positive way. Yeah, you mentioned the responsibility and commitment of operators. This is actually a really interesting point. Do you think the industry has done well in the recent years in showing this commitment? Yeah, I think the industry has done a much better job in, in recent years. I think a number of the big international responsible operators have really moved in the right direction. And you can see that in terms of the financial commitments they've made in around research, lots of the initiatives that they have had, working together through trade associations to try and develop regulatory codes around things like advertising and supporting an ecosystem that will strike the right balance between a continued operation of the industry and, and steady growth of it. It's a significant sector in in some um, jurisdictions in, in Europe, in terms of the amount of tax it plays, in terms of the employment, the jobs it, it confers, in terms of the investment in things like sport and advertising media, um, and that kind of can't be overlooked. But at the same time, I think these initiatives can go further, and we, you know, that's something we're striving to do. But also, you're kind of only good as your as good as your weakest member, really, and that's why I think trade associations play an important role in in bringing up common standards across the industry. Because if it's only a handful of operators who do it, and um, there's still going to be some outliers who kind of let the side down, and and that's really going to undermine the efforts of the wider industry. So that's certainly something that I, I see the industry hopefully continuing their good work and and taking it to the next level. Yes. Uh, absolutely. And actually, this is another interesting point you're mentioning, because I'm wondering whether the industry can draw from these lessons and apply them to emerging markets like the US and Latin America, where there is a similar sense of a rush and opportunities that, mm -hmm. that, that they were seen in Europe 10 years ago. Do you think that the industry can uh, apply these lessons to these new markets and uh, is it going to work well? Yeah, I think so. I think we're in a far better, you know, if I'm talking from the perspective of international operators here entering new markets in, in places like you say in the US or Latin America, we're far better equipped to be able to put forward and, and, and interact with policymakers in a kind of more productive, sustainable manner, I think, than previously. You know, we've learned 
a lot from our experiences in Europe about what we've done well and, and equally what we've done badly. And I think that will put us in, in good stead. So, you know, for example, when we're in to take, for example, Brazil, a country that's in the throes of regulating um, sports betting at the moment, obviously a huge amount of interest from European operators. It's obviously a very big country, sports mad, huge amount of opportunities there for international operators to get a foothold in the market. But at the same time, whilst we're working with the authorities in Brazil, we're putting forward a lot more proactive measures that we think will be sustainable and, and, and put us in good stead. And by that, I mean things around responsible gambling. What are the things that we've learned in the UK or, or in Europe or in, in elsewhere that will enable those regulations to be more robust? And, you know, we don't want to have to go through this process again in five years time where there's a huge overhaul of all the regulations because we didn't think around, you know, what that finding that right balance that I was talking about before. Equally, things like sports betting integrity, you know, these countries like Brazil in their desire to, to generate tax revenue and to, to have a regulatory framework in place, they may forget things or not know about some of the other best practices that are in place internationally. And that's kind of our role is to kind of say, look, oh, well, you know, we've done this in so-and-so country, it's worked quite well, and you know, put forward a recommendation that something similar could be established in Brazil. And, you know, that's that's a good example of where that dialogue's been really helpful. And hopefully the regulations in that are developed in these countries will be better and stronger as a result of sharing of our experiences from what's worked well in other jurisdictions. Yeah, I, I can totally echo what you just said, David. And looking in terms of trends that are developing in those regions, do you see any similarities with what Europe has faced previously? Or are there new trends uh, developing because of new technology, societal changes, etc.? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a mixture of the two, though. I think some of the, the trends will certainly be mirrored by what we're seeing in Europe in, in terms of how, how do they go about setting up their tax regime, what you know requirements they're going to have in place around advertising restrictions or technical requirements or you know responsible gambling measures. Th- these are all trends that, that are going to be common to all these jurisdictions as they're looking to, to regulate their markets. But I think one thing we've had we've seen in Europe is there is a level of consistency, a basic level of consistency um, across the piece which I don't think we can expect to see in markets such as North America or, or indeed Latin America. You know, we already see it in the US whereby every single state is, is regulating in, in quite distinct manners. And there are some serious differences in between the products that they're allowing, what local partnerships are required, what restrictions are there on the, the types of markets that are being offered, you know, what data sharing arrangements do you have to enter into with sports bodies, all these sorts of things. And they're differing or varying significantly by, from state to state. And again, we see it in Latin America, where the only other the country that has a sort of existing European style regulatory framework is Colombia. And, you know, that we were kind of hopeful that maybe that would be mirrored in other jurisdictions. And that may yet happen as more countries come on stream. But Brazil is currently looking to go down a slightly different method where they're going to go down a sort of potentially down a concession route rather than a kind of basic licensing route. So you enter into a concession contract with the government rather than being issued a, a license, as is the case in Colombia or other jurisdictions we've seen in Europe. Why is Colombia can be considered a best case example in Latin America? 
Yeah, I, well, I mean, from an operator perspective, yes, because it's the most familiar to what we're used to in Europe in terms of the way they've structured things. The problem is, you know, this is all hypothetical as well. A lot of this is, is kind of on paper without going into too much detail. Colombia is a viable and attractive market. However, the realities of actually setting up the necessary business infrastructure to get operational there um, have proved a bit more challenging for international operators who don't have an existing presence in Colombia. But that's just part of the challenges, I think, of, of doing these of doing business. But yeah, other other countries in Latin America are talking about regulation, places like Peru, places like Chile, Bolivia. And, you know, sometimes we might see as a result of COVID, perhaps, uh, a real desire to ramp up tax revenues quite quickly. And, you know, the, the gambling sector might be one of those areas that, that governments look at as a way of quickly monetizing some of those existing cash flows that are now currently flowing well, certainly not into the country, they're, they're, they're kind of going into a bit of a black hole offshore. And if they are able to kind of come up with their own regulatory frameworks, then it will attract those international operators and, and start driving that uh, tax revenue and inward investment that will be helpful as we look to kind of come out the other side of the COVID crisis more generally. So, yeah, I think that's certainly another area that you might see developing in the, in the next months and years. Very interesting. So to wrap up, you mentioned a lot balance, striking a balance when regulating sports betting, which is a quite delicate aspect of a regulation, because it's not easy to strike a balance when taking into account having a viable market, but at the same time, respecting the consumer protection, having a viable channeling rate, having a viable taxation rate ensuring that the technical environment is up to speed. So obviously there are a lot of elements to be taken into account. If you have a wish list, David, what would there be in that list of having like the perfect regulation? Perfect regulation? Um, that's a very good question. I think it would be one that was developed hand in hand with the experts uh, and people who understand the industry, which would be betting operators but also players as well and it would be one that I think a process that would start with, with a kind of lot of dialogue a lot of looking at best practices and one that would, would kind of be developed hand in hand over a period of time rather than being you know set up very quickly and imposed upon an industry because you know even with the best will in the world governments and politicians and often policymakers and regulators particularly if they're new to this just won't get it right first time they don't understand the nuances of what is of what is involved and that's only going to you know, lead to more difficulties in the future so i think as a wish list i think the starting point would be good kind of collaboration and cooperation from the word go and looking at some of the specific areas it's very difficult to move past tax that is a starting point the tax rate needs to be set as something that's that's sensible and proportionate whereby operators can still make money and operate in a viable manner to make it commercially attractive for them to take out a license and to be active in that marketplace but equally for you know when you look at the government's desires here it is they need tax revenue and they want to generate as much as viable viably possible whilst at the same time taking into account that the need for um, those operators to be licensed to pay tax and 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 add to those kind of channeling rates so that's that's always a starting point and then I think when it comes to we look at product offerings, I think that's you know it's always very important. We've seen 
lots of countries will regulate sports betting and not casino or casino and not sports betting and then how does poker fit into that how do other you know, fantasy sports where does that fit in i think you know from my perspective I, I kind of take quite a libertarian approach to this i don't believe in in prohibition as, as a viable kind of regulatory tool i think that if, if there is demand for these products and they exist and they're out there then then it's better to regulate them control them and have oversight of them so i think product offering would certainly be very important as well and then there's a whole wave of other things i won't bore you with because i'll be here all day but things like servers where are your servers located if there's a desire to have large amounts of hardware located in, in these jurisdictions it's going to be extremely difficult and it's almost like a, a non-starter you know companies technology focused companies of the size of, of some of the operators in the international sports betting market they simply can't you know up sticks and move servers internationally it's just not viable the costs and bureaucracy involved that is astronomical so that's another thing that needs to be factored in and then a whole host of other things you know in terms of advertising what are the consumer um, protection measures what do they look like what are the what are the technical requirements what are the reporting what are your compliance obligations all kinds of different things i i won't bore your listeners with those would be some of the key things i'd, I'd certainly put in place if i had a, a wish list thanks a lot david well i don't think that you're boring our listener i think that these are very useful well, I think you know it's it's good to have an an open and and honest conversation about about these things because, as you said, many times gambling regulation has been rushed into and not taking it from the perspective of viability, but just from the perspective of regulating the market for various other interests rather than looking at the sustainability of the market itself. So as there are new jurisdictions opening up and also existing legislations who are currently being looked at, I think it's important and timely to have this kind of conversation. So thanks a lot, David, for these useful insights that will leave our listeners with something to ponder on. And I will still invite our listeners, if they haven't done yet, to uh, subscribe to our podcast, Ask the Operator, which can be found on the main streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcast. And also to follow us on our uh, Twitter account, idea underscore bet, and on our LinkedIn uh, page as well. Well, thanks a lot, David, for your help in trying to give an overview of gambling regulation is not, as I said at the beginning, an easy task, but I think you've done it uh, beautifully. Thanks a lot for this. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Sylvia. Hopefully it was helpful and uh, some people find it interesting. So yeah, thanks very much for your time. Thank you and bye-bye. Bye-bye.